0: This is Eugene Carroll. How do you do? I'm a journalist, and this is the oral biography of Hunter S. Thompson, Part One. Now, I have heard uh, the biographers of uh, George Washington, Catherine the Great, Voltaire, Roosevelt, etc., uh, etc say they would give anything, anything, if they could meet their subjects in the flesh so they could ask them questions. Now, I, on the other hand, would be happy if Hunter S. Thompson, one of the greatest journalists and certainly the greatest degenerate of the 20th century, if Hunter Thompson, the author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, If my friend Hunter had just held a few things back from me. For instance, let's look at his daily schedule. And by the way, I know this has been printed all over the Internet for years. Let me get a sip of wine. This list, which I'm about to give you, has been posted forever. Okay, this is a big thing. People have written to me uh, over the years asked uh, to make recordings of it, asked to set it to rock and roll songs, asked to put it in a symphony, asked to put it in a play. I've always said no, no, no. And so I am going to read it to you right now. Here's Hunter's daily schedule, which is, by the way, an understatement. 3 o'clock p.m. Rise. 3.05 p.m. Chevis regal with the morning papers. Dunhill's. 3.45. 3:45 cocaine 3:50 another glass of sherry another dunhill 4:05 pm first cup of coffee dunhill 4:15 cocaine 4:16 orange juice dunhill 4:30 cocaine 4:54 cocaine 4 57, Cocaine. 5.05, Cocaine. 5.11, Coffee. Dunhills. 5.30, More Ice in the Chevis. 5.45, Cocaine, etc., etc., and at 6 p.m., we have a little grass to take the edge off today, and at 7.05, he goes to Woody Creek Tavern for lunch, and for lunch, it's a Heineken, Two margaritas, two cheeseburgers, two orders of fries, a plate of tomatoes, coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, Dunn Hills, another Heineken, cocaine, and for the ride home, a snow cone, that's a glass of shredded ice, over which he pours four jiggers of Chavis. He arrives home, 9 o'clock, starts snorting cocaine seriously. 10 o'clock p.m., drops acid. 11 o'clock, chartreuse, cocaine, grass. 11.30, cocaine, etc., etc. 12 midnight, Hunter. Hunter Thompson is ready to write. 12.05, to 6 a.m. Chartreuse, cocaine, grass, Chavis, coffee, Heineken, clove cigarettes, grapefruit, Dunhills, orange juice, gin, and continuous pornographic movies. 6 o'clock a.m., the hot tub. (laughs) He climbs into the hot tub with a glass of champagne, a chest of dove bars, And a bowl of fettuccine Alfredo. At 8 a.m., he takes a house in. And at 8.20, Hunter S. Thompson is asleep. Oh, it just hails cocaine in Hunter's house. I once saw Hunter put cocaine on his viral member and ask a Republican speechwriter to snort it off. She did. An ugly little skinny thing. Fortunately, she had the sense not to chop it into piles first with a razor. But I'll treat of his virile member uh, later, perhaps in a later part of this oral biography. So, uh, Hunter is almost completely bald. Once I found a picture of him with hair. For crying out loud, I said. He says, I lost it all at once. At what age, I say? The year I was supposed to die, he said. You were supposed to die, I say? My ears were pricking up. When I turned 27, he said. Well, why, I said. Well, he said, that's how I worked it. Now wait, I say, you knew, you you knew you were going to die. Well, he said. I planned on it. Oh, I say, really? Really? And he shook his head, and (laughs) if he had had any hair, he would have torn it out. And he said, it's been confusion ever since. We were watching Caligula during this conversation, and Hunter was holding a big white Hitachi magic wand vibrator in his hand about the size of a tire jack I have it all on tape by the way I have every word you're hearing on tape I have Hunter on tape begging me to put everything on tape if any lawyers happen to be listening or happen to be interested time for another sip of water anyway I was talking about biographers right some biographers harbor secret prejudices in their hearts for the individuals they're writing about. I like Hunter. I like Hunter. Um, I met him at Elaine's and uh you all know Elaine's. I'm not gonna go into Elaine's here. That's a whole other that's a whole other twelve part you know podcast. Uh Elaine's is in New York. Uh Elaine's was so famous she once made Jackie Kennedy wait for a table as she seated one of her writers. It was the writers uh, who hung out there, uh, you know, journalists, um, uh, screenwriters. A lot of directors hung out uh, there, uh, movie stars galore. Um, and that's where I met Hunter. Uh, it was one of the most crowded nights of the of the year. Uh, he was at a table with Terry McDonald. And Terry was with his wife, Joni, and they were with uh, Hunter. And Hunter was with his girlfriend. What was her name? Oh, my God, she was great. Layla. I think, what's his name, wrote the song about Layla. Anyway, so Hunter keeps turning around and looking at me. Like, uh, just really, you know, really taking his chair and turning it all the way around. And and staring at me. And, And Layla kept saying, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Uh, Whenever you're out with Hunter, you have to like keep him under control because you don't. Anyway, so she's asking him not to do it. And so uh, about the fifth time he turned his chair to face me, I leaned over and I whispered a word in his ear. And he jumped back to such an extent he almost tipped over and crashed. I had whispered to him. Maybe I'll tell you later what I whispered to him. Um, it was a deep, deep secret, and I was the only one who knew it, and I whispered it in Hunter's ear, and we may hear about what that is later. But anyway, so uh, Hunter, uh, we met at Elaine's, and Hunter actually lived uh, at Owl Farm uh, outside of Woody Creek, Colorado. Uh, you know, that's not far from Aspen. I think it's like 10 miles, 8 or 10 miles. So uh, when Hunter's not in New York, we talk on the phone. And when Hunter's at <laughs> Owl Farm talking on the phone, he's constantly screaming at his peacocks. How Hunter Thompson kept... Remember, he's in Aspen. You know, he's in Colorado. He's, uh, you know, a mile high. It is cold. How he kept a flock of peacocks, warm weather, jungle birds. Peacocks are jungle birds. How he kept that outside of Aspen, I had no idea because those peacocks thrived at Hunter's. They just thrived. They constantly danced and displayed and set off his, his motion de- detectors anyway. But uh, Hunter would come to New York and uh, when he came, we would pal around We'd go to Elaine's. We'd hang out at strip clubs. uh, We'd go to live sex shows, that kind of thing. And um, one night, Hunter was in New York, and he called me. You know, I haven't even started the biography yet. I'm just (laughs) telling you how I met him. One night, he called me howling and moaning into the phone about two red-headed Malaysian strumpets. That's, quote, two-headed Malaysian strumpets. That's not my language. That's Hunter's who were covering him, as he spoke, from head to foot in Gillette Foamy. And they were about to shave every hair off his body, up to and including his eyebrows. And he wanted me to come over immediately and supervise. He was, uh, of course, I rushed right over. He was staying in a suite at the Mayflower Hotel, on Central Park West, under the name of Mr. Walker. He greeted me wearing a shade of mandrill pink lipstick, which I found really so uh, it, so fetching. I actually tried to, uh, to get... Uh, <laughs> I tried to purchase a tube myself. Okay, all right. I can't remember if I actually found it, if I actually bought it, but it seems to me I wanted to get it. Anyway, so it soon transpired that the reason... Hunter called me was not to supervise the two women, depilitators. They'd already departed by the time I got there and they left water all over the floor. But he called me because Bob Wallace, the famous editor of Rolling Stone, who was also my editor at Rolling Stone. And I'm telling you right now, I have a beef, (laughs) not a beef. Uh, I have, I have a bone to pick with Wallace because, uh, uh, <laughs> Wallace refused Hi, Bob, if you're listening uh, Wallace refused to print the word cunt in the opening of my Billy Idol piece, and Bob said uh, he, he remarked, he said Egene, when Richard Nixon calls you a cunt, I will happily print it, but when Billy Idol calls you a cunt, we will use the M-dash Thank you, Bob Wallace, so uh, anyway, Bob was coming the next day to pick up Hunter Thompson's, uh, Vietnam piece, uh, which Rolling Stone was running. I guess they got a fit of Hunter Love. Every once in a while they went through things where they had to run Hunter. Uh, they, they wouldn't run him for months and then, you know, they call him and they say, Hunter, you gotta, you gotta write this or that for us. Uh, so this was a piece, um, that Hunter wrote. <laughs> About Vietnam, I don't know, years, decades after the evacuation. Um, I think it was about, you know, what? I can't, I can't remember. Um, I know there was an opium speed in it. All right, well, I'll look it up before the podcast ends and try to figure it out. Now, Hunter and I watched a game on TV. We washed out his laundry. Hunter, Hunter was the cleanest man I've ever met in my life. Uh, We worked on the piece. We lined up sugar cubes for the CIA, for the CIA at the empty tables in the conservatory restaurant. That was the ground floor of the Mayflower. Now, I can't remember if Hunter was taking the sugar cubes to spell out a warning in code to the CIA, uh, trying to foil a CIA plot, or he was... uh, Warning the CIA of the plot. Anyway, so he spelled out things on the tables in sugar cubes. Then we rode up and down the elevator. We ran back and forth in the hallway. We ordered room service. We ate it on that Mayflower hotel uh, bed. And I was just finishing a tin roof ice cream Sunday when the notion of writing a biography about Hunter occurred to me. And I thought, hmm, this could be good. This could be good. So... That's where I got the idea. Uh, And when Wallace arrived with an assistant, you know, sometimes assistants, uh, two assistants, sometimes two assistants were required to prepare a Hunter Thompson piece for publication on account of all the weeping and screaming. Uh, Not all of the hunters um, that went into... uh, getting hunter through a piece um editing hunter was not easy Um, and i when wallace walked in i will never forget uh the flabbergasted look on his face when hunter handed over the piece nearly finished um later i surprised hunter remember i got the idea about the biography later i surprised hunter by uh flying to colorado unannounced on his birthday calling and telling him I was writing his about his biography and to come pick me up because I was at the Woody Creek Tavern. Now this was at midnight. Uh, I think I got in. I think I flew into uh, Denver and then had to drive all the way to Aspen. Anyway, it was, I didn't get until like midnight. So Hunter comes screeching up in his glistening fire apple red Pontiac with the big top down. I turned on my tape recorder, got in the car, and I rarely turned that tape recorder off until many days later when Hunter and I got into a fist fight at 3.30 in the morning. Lots of things happened with Hunter at 3.30 in the morning. Just ask Johnny Depp. Uh, at 3.30 in the morning. And I ran to the phone. I mean, we were in a real tussle. I mean, it, well, it's like hanging on a big oak tree. I mean, he's huge. Uh, when I say fist fight, I mean, you know, he's, he's shoving me away, and I'm trying to get him. Uh, I ran to the phone to call a taxi, and I dialed, and Hunter put his finger on the button. And I t- dialed again, and Hunter put his finger on the button, and I dialed again. And a nice lady at the taxi service said, Hello? And I said, help, 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 come and get me. And you know what the lady said? Are you at Hunter's? <laughs> anyway, so I surprised him on his birthday. He picks me up in the shark. The big red uh, fire apple, red uh, Pontiac was called the shark. The big white top was down. We drive at incredible speeds. Up, up, up and down, down, down the mountain roads with, not exaggerating, the headlights off. Remember, by now it's about one, a little bit after one. The Hunter liked to drive at night with the heads. Hunter lived in a state of grace. Hunter lived wrapped in a cocoon of grace. I have been with Hunter when he was going 120 miles an hour at night. With the headlights off, I've been with Hunter when he's done that, roar, roaring by uh, the uh, state police headquarters. It was like throwing red meat to a Doberman. They didn't. T- he was untouchable, in uh, in Woody Creek and Aspen. Untouch untouchable. Anyway, so we're uh, we're uh, 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 you know going up and down the mountain roads. He does slow down on the, on the curves. It was like forty or fifty miles an hour around the curves. So we reach a peak and hunter stomps the brakes and he swerves into the weeds and with a huge engine rumbling do you know how big those cars were back then those cars this car was huge it must have been a 72 73 pontiac it was long as a block the thing must have weighed six tons and shiny oh my god And he always had it running perfect anyway so we swerved into the weeds the big engine is rumbling and he turns to me and he 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 turns to me and he says should i have lipstick on (laughs) it's a you know during this period it was a sort of a thing with him Uh, and his voice you know johnny depp got him cold have you seen johnny depp in uh fear and loathing Johnny Depp got him cold. Uh, Bill, uh, Bill Murray got him cold in uh, Buffalo. Uh, but Hunter's voice, and I can't do Hunter's voice. Hunter's voice is unique on this planet. Um, his voice is deep, and it rolls, and it vibrates like a cello. And uh, not that he ever vocalizes a complete word. Uh, uh, no, sometimes it's just the bowels. Other times it's just a consonant, consonant. Sometimes it's some other system. And it takes a while to get to, uh, used to the way he talks because I understand I slur my words and people have a trouble understanding me, uh, because I always, uh, sound like I'm a complete moron because I can't talk. But Hunter, uh, Hunter's system, uh, articulation, uh, sounded like he was locked in an iron lung, uh, face down. Uh, so that's how Hunter sounds when he talks. But it's a beautiful voice, very deep and vibrating. And he says, you don't know. And I'm about ready to give you the key to Hunter Thompson here with his next line. I have all this on tape. This next line that Hunter says uh, is the key to Hunter Thompson. He says, you don't know what it's like having hundreds of ideas coming into your mind at once. I can't imagine, I said. Trying to control him, he says. And he smiles. And when Hunter smiles, uh, let me have a sip of wine. When Hunter smiles, it's coquettish. It's weirdly coquettish. Um, and then he drops one shoulder and he reaches under the seat and he takes out a small, round, flat, black steel container and he removes the lid and he looks inside and sighing and raising his eyebrows a little he proceeds to lick the entire little container just lick 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 all the way around lick lick all that very just full of zest licking this thing and then he puts the lid back on Well, it turns out he wasn't getting a delivery until the next day, right? Uh, Hence, the licking. I didn't know this at the time. Uh, And I say, well, it must drive you insane (laughs) being that sensitive. And he says, it does. And he gave a thump to the steering wheel. It does, he says. Uh, He says, that's true. And then he glances at me out of the corner of his eye and he says, you know what it's nice that we can talk this way. And he was wearing aviators and his face keeps changing color when you talk to Hunter his face changes color uh, along with his moods and his topics. Uh, he's unable Hunter is unable to move a single muscle in his body naturally. He can't move naturally. He He's big-nosed, and he's big-boned, and he's 6'3", at least. Uh, And he's wearing a very, very unbecoming uh, khaki bush hat on his head, snapped up on both sides, both sides. You don't wear khaki hats snapped on both sides. Hunter wears his khaki hat snapped up on both sides. He's wearing a knit, uh, I guess it's a driving club or a bike club or a golf club you know it could be one of those it's a club and it's knit and it's got leather on it and he's got that on his right hand of course he has a cigarette in the mouth in the holder Um, he's wearing a red plaid short sleeved shirt khaki pants with pleats and the uh, of course the low cut Chuck Taylor all stars white socks only white socks, of course, as we all know from every picture ever taken care of, taken of him. Uh, you know the knee socks. Uh, a black silk pilot's jacket with Messaluna Beirut embroidered on the back. A oh, this is uh, this is uh, timely. <laughs> a United States Secret Service patch sewn on the left front and a Pitkin County Sheriff's deputy badge pinned on the right. He is, without exaggeration, the worst-dressed man I have ever beheld in my life. But, you know, yet, um, he's uh, become, lately, sort of a, you know, it's just, he's sort of become, I hate to say it, a fashion icon, um, uh, so he says, so he turns to me and he says, did you bring the cocaine? We're still sitting in the big uh, red shark. I said, cocaine? And he hands back my lipstick. He says, I have many things to do. And he flexes his big knees. I said, well, what do you have to do? He says, get drugs. Drugs? I, I have. Do the drugs, he says. Okay, so. I say, you get the drugs, you do the drugs, and then what? And then I pass out, he says. And then? Then he says, then I get more drugs. Ah, I say. Then he says, do more drugs. Ah, I say. And pass out, he says. Ah, I say. And then he says, you're a very opinionated broad. (laughs) And then he gives my thigh a smack. It's a test. You know, he just put me through a test. Apparently I passed. Uh, Apparently I didn't fail. But no matter, uh, he's got a survival kit that he keeps in the shark uh, under the seat and it contains matches that light in the wind and he squanders the entire box in the breeze on the way back, uh, on the way home to Owl Farm. Now, when we get there, He's gonna show me the house. And remember, this is the first time I've been there. Remember, I surprised him on his birthday. There's a big chocolate cake sitting on it. The thing I noticed immediately was a big chocolate birthday cake sitting on the kitchen counter. Anyway, so he shows me the house. It's hard to believe how woody this house is. And uh, in the living room, he has a big fireplace and dozens of speakers, just speakers everywhere. He's got giant speakers. And he puts on Los Lobos, his favorite, flops down on the couch and says, this is my song. And I'm telling you, the thing was so loud, I couldn't hear it. That's how loud he plays his music. Uh, So next stop is he's going to show me the bedroom. The bedroom is fascinating. Let me have a sip of water. The bedroom. First of all, all the shades are drawn. I mean, we're there at dark, but you, the shades are absolutely pulled down. The ground. There are guns in the corner, guns on the floor, in boxes, guns in cases. The room is chock full of guns. Guns throng about the bed. There is also a <laughs> a large number of the big electric fans with whirring, whirring blades. Like airplane propellers. Now, if a visitor times it just right, a visitor can catch Hunter just as he wakes up, you know, at 3 o'clock p.m., and holding up the skirts of his bathrobe, trembling all over and sweating, staggering towards the bathroom as close as he can to the walls so one of these fans doesn't take him off at the knees. Um, in the closet. Oh, man, I wish you could have seen the closet. There are 14. I counted everything. Hey, I'm not going to pass up this. I counted them all. 14 Madras shirts. Eight pair of khaki trousers. Ten Hawaiian shirts. Two plaid sports jackets. One blue seersucker sports jacket. One really quite beautiful green silk suit. I mean, that thing was, that thing was beautiful. And I counted him 19 pair of white, low cut Chuck Taylor all stars. Now, um, this list does not include, uh, his very homely shorts wardrobe, which we've all seen in the photographs, those horrible shorts he wears. Uh, so we have all the shorts uh, there in a pile. Or the stacks of the Hunter S. Thompson t-shirts, which he keeps on bookshelves. And I stare at these piles of t-shirts. Uh, you know, both hands are clapped to my forehead in amazement. I never saw many t shirts I mean, it's like The Gap. He's got all these t-shirts. And he says, people, give them to me. Uh, and when he tells me this, he's rocking. Picture this. We're standing in the bedroom surrounded with guns looking at his stacks of t-shirts and he's rocking back and forth on the balls of his feet rocking 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 you know why he's rocking anything he does anything to maximize his pleasures rocking is pleasurable hunter will rock so i said what why do people give you these uh, and i said do you wear them and he says no I give them to other people. And he goes on rocking, rocking, rocking. And then he says, The t shirts are revolving. <laughs> now, one of his legs is longer than the other. So when he sets off uh, to show me the study, I can see his walk because he's walking ahead of me down the hall. What a walk. Listeners, ladies and gentlemen, You never saw a walk like this. His neck is stretched out like a Thai court dancer. Okay. He has an extraordinarily weird pitch to the pelvis and one elbow when he walks, one elbow is raised up behind him. And the spine, the spine is curved in an S uh, sort of an S shape um, and the legs uh, the legs sort of lunge back and forth like an Indiana University pom-pom dancer you know that kick sort of kick uh, bend kick thing That, that anyway yeah, of course of, of course of course years later he has to use a wheelchair but we're not going to talk about that now we're, we're in part one here we're talking about Hunter uh, or talking about Hunter <laughs> not in a wheelchair no, no 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 we'll get to that later So he gets to the study. He calls it the study. And he says, don't turn around, Eugene. And he disappears through a door. Uh, And (laughs) behind this door, I hear crashing and straining. And uh, at some point, I hear him fall. I I think either he falls or he flings himself to the ground. I don't know which. And then he screams, uh, and then there's a silence, and then more crashing and more cursing, and at last he calls, come in. (laughs) Oh, boy. What do you think is back there? What? 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 Anybody get an idea what's back there in his uh, office, in his study? I'll tell you what's not there. There's no computer there, I'll tell you right now. No computer. His assistants may use computers. Hunter doesn't. Selectrics all the way for Hunter. Uh, okay, so it's not a computer. What do you think it is? I open the door halfway and put my head in. It's dark. By the way, we're in Woody Creek, so there's trees everywhere. It's dark. It's dark at high noon there. But, okay, the room is dark. But after a moment, after my eyes get used to the light, I can see uh, the gonadal glow of a bubbling hot tub and behind it what we hoosiers call a make-out couch with leather cushions and hunter is standing there so proud and he says i built the whole thing myself well you know it was a wonderful moment to see him so happy with this room uh so so much for the house we return to the kitchen uh, and here he gives a blast to the pig squealer uh, <laughs> here's a thing a pig squealer it, he squeezes it and it, and it emits a shrieking pig noise okay we've all heard pigs this is unbelievable anyway it's the pig squealer so he's, he hits the pig squealer i never saw anybody so happy to be entertaining in my life the walls And the kitchen is amazing. The walls, the cabinets, the refrigerator, the top of the stove, the lampshades, everything is covered with newspaper clipping, everything, faxes, it's covered with faxes, uh, uh, photos, reminders, Polaroids, letters, peacock feathers, lists, oh my God, the lists, posters, leaflets, memos, uh, you know, bulletin summons, summons, uh, you know, legal summons, tickets, uh, uh, you know, statements, you know, every square inch. It's like a cocoon in his kitchen. And, and this cleared off space at the counter is where he sits and writes. And he says to me, he sits down at the counter. He says, I'm getting an editorial assistant. And uh, he showed me. He showed me the candidates. Do you know what the candidates you know where he got the candidates? The candidates well, were in a mail order bride catalog. And his favorite uh is Anna Maria. She's uh number one in the running. Anna Maria, five foot three, swimming, dancing, and postcard collecting. Uh that was a wonderful moment. Anna Maria was very pretty. Uh We will hear more about Anna Maria in a minute. So we eat the chocolate birthday cake and it's really good. I think his aunt or cousin, somebody who knew him quite well sent him this gorgeous cake. And I'm telling you, that chocolate icing chocolate cake, uh, it was, it was a, such a delicious cake. And I said, Hunter, don't you want a glass of milk, uh, with that? And this stunned Hunter. And he said, milk curdles the underside of my brain tissue in the cortex. And by the way, he was completely serious. And his fork is in his hand. And his eyes suddenly fasten on my bust. Now, I am wearing a very proper little jacket over a very tight sleeveless T-shirt. Okay, right? And I said, Dr. Thompson. Please. And he said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. He, so he apologized. Now, finishing his cake. Oh, boy. Brace yourselves. Finishing his cake, Hunter stands up. I haven't even begun the biography part. Can you believe this? One, you know, I hope to get to the biography part in part two. Uh, right now, we're just doing, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. We're only doing the preliminaries. Okay. So he finishes his cake. He stands up and says, he cannot write a word until I read these three pages, which he had written already yesterday. Okay? And he wants me to read them while he positions me on a stool beside the couch in the front of the TV in the kitchen. Okay? And he wants to video the entire operation of me reading uh, these three new pages. Okay, or the three old pages. Fine, I say, fine. In what posture do you want me to be reading this? And I nod towards the camera, which he has mounted on a tripod. Let me tell you right now, Hunter has cameras on tripods all over the house. He has guns everywhere, knives on every surface, And in the open areas, he has cameras mounted on tripods. So, uh, well, says Hunter, I want to free your nipples from the side angle. So then I should put you, well, no, wait, I should put the camera over here. uh, And, uh, well, uh, these newspapers and uh, these flashlights, and he hurls the flashlights and the newspapers off the coffee table. He says, uh, you know, I think you should sit here. And I say, well, you're the cinematographer. And I totally ignore the free your nipple, uh, comment. And I shake down because I didn't think he was serious. Okay. I didn't think freeing the nipples was a, uh, was a thing uh, that you would do to your biographer. I didn't think that, freeing the nipples of your biography, I didn't think that would be uh, something that, you know, uh, a great writer of the 20th century would do. So, uh, okay. So I shake down the papers in my hand and I begin reading. I stop at the second sentence and I say, what's a hooter? Why don't you keep going, says Hunter, plunging his fingers into his glass of Chevis Regal and shoving them up his nostrils. I said, I'm not going to keep going because I don't know what a hooter is. Hunter says, nobody cares what you think. And he steps out from behind the camera. Well, I cry, smacking him with the papers. Read, read, he says, taking the lapels of my jacket between his fingers and thrusting them apart, or I'll beat you. You bent... The pages, I say, they're in your hands, he says. Okay, so I read, the woman is a hooter. Read that again, <laughs> says Hutter, endeavoring to remove my jacket and fling it. He says, I like the way your voice jumps. I find it exciting. And I say, I'm fatigued. I'm fatigued with saying the woman is a hooter. <laughs> And he says, how would you like a taste of the long knuckle? And so I continue reading. Okay. Now, he says, sit still, Jeannie. And he assumes his position and bends towards my bust. And I say, do you have the scissors? (laughs) And he says, read, read. Okay, Hunter, get some scissors, all right. They are great big ones. They are big and shiny like hedge clippers, okay? He's got these huge scissors. And I let out a high-pitched screech. And he says, sorry. And I say, well, I think you're going to miss the bullseye. And he says, "Read, read. you're almost at the end. Ow! Oh, God, cries Hunter. And the top of his bald head glows like a Rome apple. My nipple has burst forth like an exploding toothpaste cap. I cannot tell you how pleased Hunter is. How happy Hunter is. He even finds a tube of very red lipstick and darkens it. And he says, oh, my God, it almost looks like an ad for CBS. Um, so then something odd happens. Now, odd things always happen around Hunter uh, because Hunter himself is so odd. Uh, it's like dealing with an extraterrestrial. But after he actually does compose uh, two new pages. After I read those three pages and we release the nipple and we painted the nipple red, he actually got down to work and uh, we uh, wrote two pages. Uh, and uh, he hands the two new pages to me and he says, sadly, uh, they're lost. They'll all be lost. Lost forever. What do you mean? I say, No one, he said, will see them except for you. Now, outside, dawn is breaking. Hunter is standing, but his knees seem sapped. And I say, Why? Why? Why are they going to be lost? And he looks at me sadly and he says, Well, and I say, They're giving you a huge advance. There, you know, you're getting, I don't know, a million dollars for your next book. And he whispers, lost, lost. And then I say, Hunter, you ordered me to put everything on my tape recorder. It's all right here. And you know what? He immediately uh, lightened up and he said, all right. And a horn goes off. What's that, I say, jumping? What's that? It's those fucking birds in front of the motion sensor, he says. Ah, the peacocks, I cry. Those stupid little bastards, he says. Come and see. And we go outside. And when I behold Hunter Thompson lope out on the lawn between the sprinklers and heave a bucket of honeydew rinds at his cocks and hear them shrieking and I see them shaking their crests on the crowns of their metallic blue heads and erecting their oscillated trains and strutting towards Hunter, rattling and shivering their feathers. It seems to me, listener, I have never seen a bird until that moment. You'll stay here with me, won't you, Jean? Says Hunter. And everywhere, as the sun came up, there's a look of something extraordinary about to happen. Now, what answer do I give Hunter? Do we return to the house to free another nipple? Does Anna Maria, the mail-order bride, arrive? These are questions which will haunt you all week until I answer them on the next Hunter Thompson podcast. Yes, good-looking listener. We are going to observe Hunter S. Thompson year by year, beginning at the beginning, so as to produce in the end a picture of the man whose vices are enough to fill every bagneo between here and Terre Haute, Indiana. So I bid you adieu until... Next week's Part 2. And Adi Os.